The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Getting In. It is a glorious, truly glorious day here in Massachusetts where I'm sitting and talking to all of you. It's mid-80s and sunny, and it almost feels like it's summer, but I know that's not going to last, but I'm going to enjoy it today. Um, If you ask any high school junior right now how they're feeling, the almost inevitable reply, I would like to meet those students who don't say this, uh, stressed. It's really uh, a hot topic these days amongst college or high school students and their parents and their teachers, because the fact is, part of it is that the root of much of that stress is college. And whether students are overloading themselves with coursework or overbooking themselves with extracurricular commitments or just worrying about it, the looming specter of college is what can really push them over the edge on a pretty regular basis. Certainly the students that I see in my office um, are all reporting stress, especially right now because they're taking APs and sometimes they're doing subject tests and they're also taking maybe the ACT or the SAT and they're trying to figure out what they're doing this summer and then they're worrying about their college applications. It's a lot. Uh, So former teacher and Barnard admissions rep Kara Courtois is going to be with us to talk about some of these things that students and parents can do to try to ease that pressure. And then a little bit later, we have former financial aid officer Lori Peltier, who's going to offer some thoughts on making a successful financial transition to college. So for those of you who are about to go off, there's some really good information coming from her. But right now, I'm thrilled to welcome back former Reed and University of Chicago admissions officer Sally Ganga, who's here to discuss gap years, what they are, why students might consider them how they might impact your college options, all that good stuff. So, hi, Sally. Hi, Beth. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's almost like we never left. We're picking exactly. up right where we left <laughs> we off. Could, we could just talk weekly this way. <laughs> it sounds, it works for me. I love it. So, you, let's start with, the for me, the most obvious thing, which is you took a gap year. Tell us mm-hmm. about it. What was that all about for you? Sure. Um well, and first, let me just go back to your intro, if you don't mind, when we're talking about sure. stress. One of the great things about a gap year is that it allows a student to remove themselves from the stress of high school and then the stress of college and, you know, take a break and allow some of that time for reflection that we wish that they had, but that mm-hmm. so few of them actually do have these days. So I just want to make a little plug in there because it seems <laughs> really apropos. I love it. It works. Yeah, so I, what I did is I went for a year with an agency called Youth for Understanding. And um, Youth for Understanding, I love it as an agency. It's, um, it's been around for over 50 years. It uh, was founded after World War II to help, I think, to help sort of normalize relations with um, the Germans after World mm-hmm. War II. My mother went on it. 
And, you know, she thought just for a summer, but she thought it would be a great idea for me to go. And I really wanted to learn another language. Uh, we had had exchange students. Um, we'd had an exchange student live with us. So it just seemed like a great thing to do overall. Okay. So where, tell us a, just a tiny little bit more. Was Where'd you go? And I think actually one of the big questions for me was, did you apply to college before you went or did you do that while you were gone? Um, so was, it, was your next step lined up before you embarked on your gap year or yet to come when you embarked on it? Yeah, my next step was all lined up. I completely, basically what happened is I applied to my Youth for Understanding year mm-hmm. um, in the end of my junior year. And then while I was waiting to hear how that would work out, um, I applied to college, um, got okay. into Reed College, um, was admitted, and then wrote to them and asked if I could defer. Um, they asked me why I wanted to defer, and I told them right. that I wanted to go to Belgium and uh, learn how to speak French and live with a host family and be in a full immersion program. And um, they said yes. And it was kind of funny, yeah. actually, too, because some of the people I was talking to said, you know, I don't know if, uh, if colleges are really going to want you to defer for a year, but every single college rep that I asked back then said, we think going abroad for a year is a great idea. I got completely positive um, reinforcement. And, of course, I felt the same way as an admissions officer myself. Yeah, and I know that we, um, so the, the job of approving or not approving a, a gap year or deferral at Penn, where I worked, really fell to the dean, but I don't remember an instance of him denying a request uh, that in my, in my time at Penn. So I don't think it was an uncommon thing for students to ask for, and certainly it was not an uncommon thing for it to be granted. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, I always tell students, you know, if you write to us and you say, I'd like to take a year off to sit on the couch and watch television, you know, that <laughs> probably won't be approved. But, yes. I mean, let's face it, that's not what you're going to be asking for. And I'm 100% in favor of these years. I can tell you that just with my experience, I was so much sort of calmer my first year of college in terms of the social transition. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, you know, going to one of those big parties that all first-year students go to, and I thought the, bo- the party was really boring. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I told my roommates that I was going to leave, and they said, you're going to leave? This is like the big party. And I said, yeah, but it's boring. And <laughs> so I'm just going to go. I'm going to go home because, you know, there's going to be time to meet people. I'm not worried. I wasn't worried about it, and I could tell right. that they were sort of much more worried about that social transition. And I knew that it would come in time because I'd, in many ways I'd done something much harder. I'd had to make friends in a whole other language. Yep, absolutely. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah, and I can't imagine that it didn't hurt that you were, I, having gone abroad while I was in college, so I didn't take a gap year, but I did do a semester abroad. And one of the things that I really learned or that I really felt I was impacted by was just the experience of living in a foreign country on my own and having to get around and how much more uh, mature I felt at least when I came home. I'm not sure I actually was, but I certainly felt much more mature Mm -hmm. and more independent. So I can imagine that if you do that um, before you ever even go off to college, that when you finally arrive on a college campus, you arrive with that real sense of self that you might not have had before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, college was different, and but mm-hmm. the difference was more interesting than troubling. I mean, I, you know, again, you see a lot of students who, you know, maybe they've lived in the same house their whole life. All of these things are wonderful. Having stability when you're young is wonderful. But if you haven't experienced something different, then college, I think, can be pretty frightening in, right. or just unnerving. And none of it was unnerving for me at all. Right. 
because you've um, had that and, experience. You know, and I can't, and yeah, the confidence um, of learning how to make your way around a place that is so different, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just can't be measured. And I, and I have to say, too, that it really helped me, you know, I think that when you go... When you go to college, one of the great things about college is that you, you, it might be the first time you really hear some very different and very new perspectives on things. But again, I had already encountered that by going to another country. I mean, some of the things that they said about the United States, and, not, and I'm not talking about negative things, but they kept talking about what a big country it was. And, and I thought, well, it is a big country, but is that such a big deal? But when you're in a tiny little country like Belgium, it's a, it is a big deal. Right. You know? They're like, yep. Hitler rolled over us in three hours. <laughs> you know, you guys right. saved Absolutely. us. So, so it really, um, and, and they kind of would ask me questions that made me really think about my background and my assumptions. The other thing that's interesting to me, um, and so this will be different depending upon your family situation, but I was raised by a single mother in Los Angeles. So... You know, I had this kind of very urban environment. When I went to Belgium, I was in a host family where there had been seven kids in the home, Um, you know, intact parents, not divorced. Um, There Mm -hmm. were still four kids living there, and the family was super tight. I mean, you'd regularly see all seven kids, and it was this tiny little town. And so just experiencing that different kind of life was really remarkable. I went to a Catholic school, whereas I'd gone to a large public school. I... um, you know, I mean, you know, I was taught by nuns part of the time, not not all the time, but part of the time. I mean, just the whole experience was so eye-opening. And then, of course, the fact that I do still speak French is something that I actually really treasure, although, sadly, I can't pretend it's super useful. Spanish would have been more useful, <laughs> Right, of course. But still, if you ever yeah. go back to France, you certainly know that you can get around while you're there. Oh, without a doubt. And I really enjoy French movies. It's one of my nerdy hobbies, so... Oh. There you go. So we're talking a lot about going abroad as a gap year, but that's, of course, not the only option. So what are some other options that students who are contemplating taking a year off between high school and college might think about? Sure. I mean, there's so many different options. One of them that um, I don't know about, but uh, one of uh, one of our colleagues suggested is Dynamy Internship Year. There's basically an agency in Worcester, Massachusetts that recommends that recommended an agency called Dynamy that that really just helps hook students up with internships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just all different kinds of internships, whatever their interest might be. Um, something else that I thought was pretty great is um, AmeriCorps uh, provides a lot of different options. So, for example, you can do gap year through something that they call the city year, mm-hmm. and that allows you to serve students in need, you know, in an urban environment. You can also do FEMA year. So um, so that's the federal, I should have looked this up, but, the, you know, it's, it's the Federal Disaster Agency, so students yep. can volunteer with that. You can also do National Civilian Community um, Corps, where you're serving populations in need. You might be working in parks, etc. And all this is for ages 18 to 24, so high school students can't do it. Um, so this is really, and, and I have to say that with AmeriCorps, I want to stress this, I was very fortunate to be able to do Youth for Understanding because there is a cost associated with it, um, right. something that a low-income family probably wouldn't you know, be able to do. But with AmeriCorps, um, not only is it free, you actually get an award. You actually get some pay. It's minimal, but you get some pay, and then you get an award to help pay for college. Wow, that's exciting. So you get this year off, you get a little bit of money, it doesn't cost you any money, and then you potentially get some money to help you pay for college later on. That's exactly. pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah, so that is that. I was really excited to find that. And I want to be clear that while I did, you know, I lived for the same, you know, for an entire year with the same family, went to the same school, there are also students who do kind of, um, you know, who might work uh, for the first half of the year and then might go on a shorter trip. There's mm-hmm. one of the um, agencies that I like best, partially just because of their name, is called Where There Be Dragons. Oh, yeah. I know that one. Yeah. And, and I actually had a student who went with them to Burma, and that was before Burma had opened up. But mm-hmm. they managed to, op- to find a trip, you know, to organize a trip there and bring, you know, I think 12 students on it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are amazing, amazing things out there if you have a little bit of time and patience and can, can look for them. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are some great options. We talked a little bit, or you mentioned, you know, sort of your reasons for doing a gap year. And then um, we also talked through the idea of some stress release. Who, who do you think might consider a gap year looking for some stress release, maybe looking for a little bit of an adventure before going off to college? Any, any other types of students who might want to consider it? I think, I mean, honestly, I think far more students should be doing it from the U.S. than are doing it. In other mm-hmm. countries, taking a gap year is really common. Like Australians, they'll like travel around the world for two years before they start college. Right. Um, you know, so... So I wish it was more commonly done here because I think that any student who's at all curious about the world mm-hmm. is going to really, really benefit from it, yeah. um, even if they don't leave the country. I mean, one of the great things about the United States is what a kind of amazingly diverse place it is. So, you know, we all grow up in our corner and we sort of assume everyone is, is like us. And then you can do something like, um, you know, like AmeriCorps and just find out how dramatically different it's, it is in Appalachia or you know, compared to um, Ohio, compared to California, compared to Boston, compared to Connecticut, you know, each corner of the country does have these really unique and different aspects to it. And so I, I just think anybody who's curious at all and who's willing to kind of go off the beaten path a tiny bit um, yep. is going to benefit from this. And this includes students who are highly ambitious. And I want to stress that because I talk to a lot of ambitious students who think, I don't have time. And I, it's hard to explain to a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old that in a few years, that one year won't have mattered, other than right. the fact that you'll probably be grateful that you did take a step back during that one year. But there's this sense that they'll be behind, because in high school, being a year older is embarrassing. Right. And what they don't realize is that in college or graduate school, in medical school, business school, whatever, it actually can almost be, really can be an advantage, and it definitely isn't embarrassing. Right, exactly. I mean, you have a far more likelihood of encountering people of all ages versus every single student is going to be either 17 or 18. And so if you're 19, that's a problem for you. Exactly. And the fact that you've had this different experience just sort of gives you, it it will make it easier for you to connect to people from really different backgrounds from your own. Right. And I also think a big thing that holds people back here, I I think money is sometimes a consideration or often a consideration, the thought that you have to spend for something and then college is on the heels of that even after that. Um, But to your point, you don't need to do necessarily a whole trip abroad for a full year. You could get a full-time job for half a year, earn the money to go and do something a little bit more exciting, and then be in the same financial situation as before when you're ready to go off to college. But the other thing that I see is just this panic about, well, with parents, amongst parents, if he or she doesn't go today, then they're not, she's not going to go or he's not going to go. Right. 
Yeah. And, you know, my um, my husband actually took a year off between high school and college and wasn't even necessarily sure that he was going to go to college. But it was really he was the one who decided that college was the right choice for him in September when all of his friends went off to college and he was still at home working in a kitchen. And so he really drove that for himself. And there's real value in that, too, I think. So, well, and I think, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think what parents also miss is that students can actually be more motivated mm-hmm. when they have come back, you know, especially a student who maybe has had to work in a job for a year that's unpleasant or, yes. you know, or not like a glamorous job, right? I mean, I think, yes. I think it's fair to say, I think it's absolutely fair for parents to say, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go abroad, you're going to pay for it. Again, I was lucky I didn't have to pay for all of it, but my mom made it clear that I was going to contribute. So, right. you know, I worked in a bookstore. It's a fun job, but it was kind of enough to already let me know that this is the kind of work I was going to do without a bachelor's degree. <laughs> and so and therefore, I really wanted that bachelor's degree. And then yes. when you let students come to that understanding on their own, they're going to be much more motivated when they first get to college. You know, and again, I'm going to go back to me at that first party I, I did not, I, at no point did I sort of mistake what college was for. Mm-hmm. Right, um, exactly. You know? And it I knew wasn't... that that part of it, that the friendships would come and that was important, but it wasn't like partying was the priority. Exactly. And so the last thing that I wanted to talk about during our segment today is, um, so a lot of what we've been talking about is the idea that you apply to college and then you get in, you decide where you're going to go and you ask for a deferral and then you go off on your year and then you come home and you enter that institution. I have, have students sort of coming to me and saying, well, I didn't get into the school that I wanted to get into. So I'm going to take a year off and then I'm going to reapply and I'm going to do something interesting and then I'm going to be a much better applicant. Mm-hmm. Now, I have my thoughts about that, but I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, yeah, approaching Yeah, I want to be clear that, that that does not boost. I mean, ultimately, this comes back to what we're always telling students. The foundation of the decision is the transcript, the test scores, the extracurriculars while you were in high school. Is, does a gap year make you a little more attractive? Yes, a little bit. It can. Is it going to dramatically change, uh, you know, your profile? Is it going to suddenly make you a sought-after candidate? You know, probably not, like not unless you invent something remarkable. So that is actually, as much as I am pro-gap year, that is not a reason that I am pro-gap year. Right. I would agree. I just don't think that's the thing to do. I also think the danger in taking the gap year and then planning to reapply is that now you're out of high school. And so you are actually lacking often the support of the high school in the application process. So whereas you had a guidance counselor who was at the very least sending out your transcript and making sure the college has got the school's pieces of things, now that's on your shoulders. And if you are in a foreign country or off doing something really interesting, you have even less time to orchestrate all of that than you did when you were in high school. So mm-hmm. it actually can make the process of applying a little bit more complicated than yes. it was. And I completely agree. And I, I want to be clear that as exciting as it is to be in a foreign country, I mean, those are not usually going to be the best essays anyway, because the colleges right. want to get a sense of, you know, who you are and what you're doing and kind of something that's a more like daily occurrence, not... absolutely. You know, not when you've just crossed the River Seine, you know, you're walking across the, uh-huh. you know, the new bridge in Paris and it's gorgeous. I mean, that's fun, but, you know, we're not, we don't want to read some kind of great short story. We want to read about who you are when you're at home in kind of much more boring circumstances. 
Exactly. And I always say that uh, admissions does not pay that well. And when I'm sitting in my cold, <laughs> dark room, shut in with 30 applications, right. I don't really want to read about you traipsing across a bridge in Paris, because quite honestly, that's going to make me mad. I want to be on that bridge in Paris, not you. So Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, completely. So I, that is the one reason why I don't recommend a gap year. I, there's right. so many good reasons to do it, but don't do it because you think it's going to get you in to whatever college you, you did not get into the first time. Get excited about the colleges you got into, request a gap year from them, and, and you know, get, you know, take that great gap year and then come back to the college that admitted you because it's frankly probably the right place for you anyway. Now, one thing I, one last point I want to make is that a lot of state colleges won't necessarily grant deferrals. So I find that private colleges tend to be very generous with them, but like I know that the University of California system, for example, just blanketly does not accept them. So you would have to reapply. So that is something to be aware of. Yeah, that is really helpful. And thank you very much for bringing that up. Uh, Sally, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. To all our listeners, don't go away. We're talking stress and the college student when we return. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, As I mentioned earlier in the show, stress and high school students seem to go hand in hand these days. And with me to talk about why that is and maybe what we can do about it is former teacher and Barnard admissions officer and current college coach colleague. Oh, and also she happens to be a mom of three kids. So I think she knows a little something about stress. Uh, Kara <laughs> Courtois. Welcome, Kara. Oh, thanks for having me, Beth. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you back. Uh, so stress. It's been in the news. It's in the news all the time. It is if you have a student in your office and you ask them how they're doing, they're always, oh, I'm really stressed. We are stressed. Parents are stressed. Teachers are stressed. It's certainly a word we toss around a lot. But 
I think it's probably um, very, very applicable to most high school students in the country right now and probably never more so than in the junior year where a lot of things seem to come to a head, but possibly in the fall or the winter of senior year is equally stress, uh, a stressful time. But I would love to just kind of start with a really basic question. That is, you know, why is everyone so stressed out, do you think? Uh, yes, that's a great question, um, and we could probably talk about it for a long time. Yes, which I in think and of so. Itself is stressful, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I think uh, junior year, the stress is—I'd say one of the biggest stresses—is for most students. It's the year they are taking their most challenging coursework, yep. and from what I've seen over the years, it's often a wake-up call for a lot of students. You know that. Maybe they're taking honors or advanced placement courses for the first year and bite off more than they can chew because, you know, they were recommended into the courses and it certainly looks good in anticipation of it anyway, in theory, Mm -hmm. to colleges to take those more challenging courses. But then they don't necessarily know, you know, how much time they'll need to dedicate to the work or have a hard time even anticipating um, that load. At the same time, you know, you're a junior and sometimes you can suddenly have a leadership position on your sports team in a school club. So it's a lot of things going on at once. Um, I definitely also say that you add a layer into that with the standardized test scores that are typically taken during junior year for many students the time preparing for that, whether it's for the tutor or on your own. Nonetheless, it's one more thing to study for when you're juggling um, quite a bit and you're probably tired. Um, So that's all, you know, the academic. And then, of course, people become more social their junior year, you know, um, and they're just drawn in different ways. Um, And I oftentimes, when I was teaching, with the increase in the social life and also just being more known and fulfilled or, you know, present at your school, you often are asked by people to take on more responsibility. So your plate's pretty full, you know, as a student, I would say. Um, And then we're going to add in, you know, visiting and looking at schools and doing all that research. So so there's a lot, you know. There is a lot. I would say, I say to students, you know, these are good stresses to have sometimes, but you have to, you know, back down and look at them one by one. You know, I think another thing that's very stressful is, all of these things are happening, but you're also getting feedback. And some of it yeah. can be a, that other wake-up call, right? So you're kind of, you're working hard in freshman and sophomore year, or maybe you didn't work that hard in freshman year, and your grades reflect it. And the junior year, for a lot of students, is where this stuff kind of comes back to haunt you a little bit. Can, doesn't always, but can. So now is often when you start thinking about that college list for the first time. And the reality of the that maybe that school you always dreamed about somewhere in the back of your mind and maybe you never even spoke it aloud, um, now you're finding out that you really don't have a very good shot at getting in or Mm -hmm. you get those scores back from those standardized tests and despite all of the hard work you put into preparing for them, the scores are not reflective of, at least in your opinion, the effort you put in or maybe you just thought you were going to do better and you didn't. And then that ratchets up the stress for the next time you take them because you start to think, well, if I don't do well this time, then what happens? And I think people can get in that vortex of now you really are starting to get down 
at least as college is concerned, to the realities of what you've accomplished so far and where that leaves you in terms of your options. And from the outside looking in, we know there are so many great options, but if you've been fixated on one or two schools or a group of schools, say the Ivy or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it, 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 the world feels very narrow and um, that, that can make your options feel very few and that what will stress you out more than that, right? You know, if you uh-huh. think you need to go to a place where they're only admitting 5% of the applicant pool, that can make your options feel um, very few indeed. So, uh-huh. anyway. Definitely. And I think we often refer to it, you know, on our side of things and in admissions. You know, it might be the one thing, you know, either as a parent or a student that you really can't control that outcome. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, you probably could have predicted that you could get into National Honor Society or if you make the varsity tennis team, you know, or even, you know, if you got into that AP class, whatever it may be, but the college admissions is, you know, increasingly um, there is no crystal ball to know the outcome. So that's what we talk a lot with students is what are the things we can control in this process versus what are the things that we don't have any control over in the end. Exactly, and um, fixating on what you can control and working on that is um, probably step one to really managing some of that stress. Um, Mm -hmm. So actually, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, You wrote a blog, which is actually was sort of the basis for this segment today because I read the blog and I thought this is – you know, exactly what I'm hearing from parents and students. I'm reading about it in the news. I mean, we have these horrible stories. I mean, really, horrible is not even a strong enough word for it. Horrific stories of these places where the pressure is extreme and then you end up with little pockets of suicide um, yeah. where we have high school students who are so stressed out about this stuff that they are going to the most extreme measure that you can imagine and then others are following suit in copycat fashion and you know, it is so important for everyone, whether it's students themselves who may be listening or their parents or maybe teachers who might be listening to take a big step back and say, okay, what, you know, this is silly um, because I don't know about you, but when I sit here today and I went to a wonderful undergraduate institution, if I had to do it all over again, I would still go there. But I also know that there were many different paths to this the seat that I sit in today and that if I didn't go to that undergraduate institution and went to one of the others that I got into or maybe even to any number of schools that I never even considered but could have been wonderful fits for me, I could still be here today or if not right here doing this, maybe something else that is equally interesting to me. So, you know, one message that I try to give families is, and I am heard sometimes and not others, um, (laughs) but is to, you know, really think about how important is where you do your undergraduate and even your graduate work. Can it make a difference? Sometimes, sure. But is it everything? Absolutely not. And, um, you know, I'd love if you have thoughts about that in particular before we get to the other things that people can think about. But I, I do think step one is maybe walking away from the idea that it has to be X or Y school or none. No, I mean, I, that's absolutely true. And, you know, Sometimes I find with parents and students that they, you know, absolutely you can see the pressure go down in them physically, you know, just Mm -hmm. relax a little bit more into the conversation when you give permission to think that way. 
you know, yes. and can use your own experience as an example or the numerous other students where we know that's the case. And um, I think that as a parent now, as an aunt of tons of at least 21 nieces and nephews who've gone through this process very recently, wow. that that's, that's some lot. of the best advice that I can give, you know, oftentimes is, you know, let's keep perspective on this, number one. And, you know, really, if we need to pull out tons of examples, you know, get them on the phone with some people who, you know, got into the, you know, top 10% ranked schools in the country, but chose to go elsewhere. And what's their happiness? And, you know, some of the decisions around that. And I'm sure, you know, pretty much every person, including myself, could say, I had a great time in my undergraduate overall, but could I have you know, done better? Could I have had an equally great time elsewhere? Absolutely. You know, just as there's no one house for anybody (laughs) to own in this world, there's no one college. Um, So that's, yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. And, you know, definitely um, is one of the things that I would encourage from the the get-go. I do find, and I'm seeing this with the younger kids that I have right now, is I really don't talk about, you know, oh, do you think maybe you'd want to go there someday and plant that seed, you know, for people out there listening who have younger kids, um, keeping the conversation open and just about college is great, that's the goal someday, rather than I really want you to get into XYZ school. Yes. Or, you know, that's the place where you'll be able to play, you know, lacrosse, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you know, it's just not setting, not giving a specific goal at the end because you can't control that and really just kind of implementing and suggesting kind of strategies for success in life. Exactly. And I, you know, I think that's really great uh, advice. And I actually think that speaks to one of the key, you had four main areas where you felt that parents and teachers and students themselves even could help to reduce that stress. And one of them was around managing expectations. And to me, that speaks directly to that tip is um, if you aren't telling your student it's Harvard or nothing, that helps them accept that it doesn't have to be Harvard or nothing. It can be Harvard or any number of the 3,700 colleges and universities that are in this country. And I'm about finding the right one for me, not about pinning all my hopes on this one probably unrealistic choice um, Mm -hmm. that someone else has set up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else around managing expectations that that you would bring up or... Have, have we kind of covered that one? Um, the only thing I would say is that, you know, we always talk about the importance of diversifying a student's college list, but I think that kind of feeds into managing expectations that mm-hmm. we would never advise and always hope that students don't have just the most selective schools they can get into on their list, you know, be it any acceptance range, that they need you know, schools that they can, that are targets and, and no problems. But part of that is also, you know, where might they be able to be a better student? Where some students are just starting to figure out, you know, I always say, are you a, are you a better athlete when you're at the front of the pack? You know, where you get all the attention or you're leading, you know, the, the race? Or are you a better learner or athlete, whatever the metaphor is? when you're, you know, taking a little bit of a backseat and maybe, you know, not leading the pack and maybe 
you know, inspired by the questions being asked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, diversifying the list includes not just selectivity of the school and acceptance rate, but also the cost of the institution and, you know, being able to sometimes take some of the, you know, the pressure off of the expectations around, you know, only going to one type of school. Right. So what are some other areas? I think one of those that you identified that parents can help with are, uh, is helping students to prioritize a little bit, um, both academically and maybe in the things they're doing outside of the, of the classroom. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, this is the time when I say less is more, because even when I was teaching, and still today, you know, I just hear students all the time saying, you know, comparing themselves to their peer that has this, you know, mythical eight-page resume of every, you know, walk-upon slash leadership opportunity they pursued, you know, since kindergarten, and um, not only would a college admissions counselor never want to read you know, that right. page resume, but more importantly, you know, they, you can't really have an impact on anything when you're just doing so much. You're spread so thin. So both academically and I'll start with extracurriculars, you know, starting, I always say, try and funnel. By junior year, what are your priorities? What maybe if you've been sitting on the bench in your athletics or, as I said to a student the other day, I she said she was miserable, you know, playing soccer, she, but she's been doing it since she was four years old, so how could she give it up? And as we talked further, realized if she did give up her sport in her junior year, it would allow her to volunteer more. She wanted to teach Chinese to non-native speakers, mm-hmm. and that would, she would lit up, you know, when I said, well, actually, so if you were to switch the two, then... You know, the reality is if you're not looking to play Division One, Two, II, or Three soccer, then it's okay to make that shift. And, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's just trying to, you know, look at how you spend your time, especially by the junior and senior year. And, I, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive on some level when I say it to students, but um, the reality is simplify. You know, simplify things and try and invest yourself in areas that are important to you where you have fun with it, you know, hopefully yep. that um, you find some joy in your day and that you find some real value, whether that's a sport, volunteer work, job, whatever it may be. Right. Um, and then from the academic side, you know, we often talk on our team that though it feels like some students to get into the most rigorous or most selective schools in the country, you need to have every AP, you know, class taken at their school when you talk to people like us who've read the applications, that wasn't the case. Yes, they needed a very rigorous selection of classes, uh, but they, you know, they want to admit students who have some time to think and to process, not just to check all the boxes and say that they did it and they survived and they slept for two hours a night. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, I do think that sort of um, mercenary approach to I'm just going to cram as many high-level things into my life as I can, whether it's extracurriculars or it's the number of APs I take or the number of subject tests that I take or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, you can lose the person in all of that. And (laughs) so you might be surprised to learn that even at the most selective levels, it is often that student who focused less on the what's going to look great to the colleges and more on the 
I know I need to do some of these things, and then these are the things I really want to do, mm-hmm. and how that can really come together to create a more interesting application. So, yes, quality um, versus quantity. Exactly. So there, um, Kara wrote a great blog on this, and if you're interested, you can go to our website, which is uh, getintocollege.com and forward slash getting in. And if you go there, um, from there you can see other things on our on our website, including the blog where, and you can find it. It's called Stress in the College Admissions Process. Kara, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming here today. And after the break, we're addressing making a successful financial transition to college. We'll be right back. Thanks, Beth. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Before we get to our next segment, I did want to address a question that came in over the past week. And it was from a listener who specifically wanted to know... um, for the class of 2017, what is recommended for standardized testing? The old SAT versus the ACT versus the new SAT. And uh, the listener wrote in that uh, she was hearing that avoiding the new SAT, if possible, is a good idea. And I'm not going to answer that question right now, but what I am going to do is let you know that way back in February, the very first episode of Getting In, I welcomed Jake Newberg from Revolution Prep, who's our trusted partner on the test prep side of things, to talk about the new SAT and actually to, to answer that very question of should you avoid it, should you not. Um, so I highly recommend revisiting the archives or downloading the episode, which aired on Thursday, February 5th. Um, on iTunes. So it's for free. Either you can listen to it in the archives or you can download it from iTunes and both of those options are free. Okay, so back to the topic at hand, which is making a successful financial transition to college. And with us now is former Becker and Anna Maria, Anna Maria College financial aid officer, Lori Peltier. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Beth. 
How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So we're talking about what happens after you make the deposit. So many families uh, of seniors have just made their deposit. In fact, May 1st, uh, a mere seven days ago, was National Decision Day when all students were meant to make a decision about where they're going to be going to college and send in that non-refundable deposit. Um, So now that they've paid their deposit, uh, what is next? When will they know what they owe and when it's due? What happens now? That's a very good question, Beth, and I think it's a good follow-up for what Kara was talking about, the stress the students were going under getting into college. Mm-hmm. I think the next level of stress comes around how will I pay for it and where is this, all this money going to come from? So uh-huh. I think it kind of ties in together, the yes. stress of all different kinds. Typically, not every college is the same, but most colleges will send out a bill for the fall semester around July 1st, end of June, beginning of July. And the bill will be addressed to either the parent of the student, uh, it will say to the, to the bill payer of the student, or it will just be posted online. And the student will receive an email saying, your bill is available for viewing, go online and see it. So one of the most important things I think as a parent you need to know is the student will receive a password and a login to get into the school's portal where all new students are getting their information. So you may not get a paper bill in the mail. It may just be posted online, and you need to be aware that that's how you're going to find a majority of your information from the college. So around July 1st, the bill is issued either on paper or online, and it will show all the charges for the fall semester, and it will show the deposit that you've paid as a deduction because your deposit is your first payment towards the fall semester. It will also show any financial aid that's been accepted at that point as a deduction to the bill and show you what the remaining balance is. And it's typically due around August 1st. So, um, again, every school is a little different, but I would plan on having your bill paid or loans or payment plans in place by August 1st. So the big message here is just because you didn't get a bill in the mail does not mean you don't owe anything. You need to be <laughs> proactive in making sure that you figure out where that bill is coming. If it's not coming to you in the mail, it may very well be online. And that's super important because I know a lot of teenagers who rarely check their email or assume that other people are taking care of it for them and don't realize that this bill may be coming directly to them or that they have to access it in a portal. So that's Really helpful advice right. um, and to all the parents. it may be going mm-hmm. to the student's college email. Right. Like John Smith at xyzuniversity.edu. So it may not be going to the home email that you put on your application for admission. It will go to your college-issued email. And I think another takeaway here is for all the students who are listening, make sure that you're checking email accounts regularly. Make sure you're checking your spam files regularly. If you're getting an email from your college, you need to open it and read it right away. And pass Um, it on to your parents. (laughs) And Yes, and then take that extra step because when we were getting um, packages, my stepson's packages were being mailed to his mother's house. And so um, frequently my husband was saying, have you gotten anything else? from this school oh yeah that came in about a week ago okay did you think that I might be interested in learning a little bit more about that can you bring it over here so very good advice well so what are the options for paying the balance that is owed I mean is it you just write out a check for the lump sum or are there other options there There are other options, and the colleges don't really care how you piece it together. Many colleges, 
Many, many families are putting it together a variety of ways, student mm-hmm. loan, parent loans, payment plans, you know, cashing in stocks, withdrawing from their 529 plans. The colleges just want to get paid on time. They don't care where it's coming from. So some people are taking loans. The students will be offered loans on their financial aid package. There are additional student loans that they can borrow, but they will need a co-signer. Mm-hmm. Um, any loans outside of the federal loans will require a co-signer, uh, usually a parent, grandparent, aunt or uncle, somebody with a good credit score to borrow on their behalf. There are also loans that the parent can take without the child's name on it. So it's a parent education loan. Some parents choose to take a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit, which can take several weeks to process. So if that's how you're planning on paying, you may want to start the ball rolling on that now so that it's all in place by August 1st. Other families are able to look at their cash flow and decide that they can do a payment plan. The colleges offer payment plans. They might outsource them to an outside company, but they're a way where you can take a portion of what you owe, divide it into 10 or 12 equal monthly payments, and pay on a monthly basis. There's usually a fee of about $50 to $100 to join the payment plan, but there's no interest accruing on the outstanding balance. And one thing to think about when you're looking at the payment plan and how much you could afford to pay each month, consider the fact that your child's moving out of your house and onto campus. They're no longer eating your food, taking long, hot showers, and leaving all the electricity (laughs) on. So you may be able to have a little bit more money each month to pay towards the payment plan than you thought. Of course, um, checks or cash are accepted. Some colleges take credit cards, but not all colleges will accept credit cards over a certain dollar balance. Um, so I've had families ask me, can I do a credit card and get all the frequent flyer miles and all those points on my credit card for a $10,000 tuition bill? The college may not let you do that because of the fees the college will have to pay to the credit card company to process that. So you'll have to check with the college of what they'll accept, but Mm -hmm. student loans, parent loans, payment plans, cash or check, or any combination of those are always acceptable. Great. Okay, so how do you know if the financial aid that, um, as a family, that you've accepted or as a parent um, is all set, uh, or are there things that the parent's going to need to do to get them applied to the bill? That's a good question. Typically, the grants and scholarships offered by the school are automatically deducted on the bill, and you'll see them as a deduction on the bill. If it's a student loan from the federal government that the student was offered, That will show up as a deduction on the bill, but it will show as pending. There are a few more steps in order for the student to receive that loan money and to have it actually come into the college. The student will have to do a master promissory note and entrance counseling uh, in order to get that loan money from the federal government applied to the student's bill. Another document that the student might be receiving via email or in the online portal at the college is a missing document notification. So if the financial aid office or the business office needs any more documents from you to get that financial aid applied to the bill, they would be notified with a missing document letter um, typically sent to the student. And keep in mind that if you are offered work-study, Work-study is a part-time job on campus that the student can earn some money. Um, that money is not deducted from the bill. It's given to the student in a paycheck when they've worked the hours. So don't expect to see your work-study deducted and check with your student to see if you've been notified of any missing documents. Gotcha. Again, students, check your mm-hmm. email and let your parents know forward stuff as you get it. Um, mm-hmm. So how much money does my stepson need for the semester, would you say? 
<laughs> that, de- that depends. Is he, you know, the type of kid who likes to go to Abercrombie or Banana Republic or The Gap and buy new clothes every week? And are you going to allow that? Does he go to a lot of concerts? Um, or is he a bargain shopper? Uh, and it really depends on where the school is located. So, you know, if the student is in a, at a college in a city, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to spend money. And you may mm-hmm. really want to talk to them about, okay, I think you should keep your spending to $20 a week or $50 a week um, because it's very easy to get distracted, you know, with all the different opportunities to spend money as you walk down the street if you're in a city. If it's a, a contained campus in a rural area, there'll be a, a fewer options to spend money. Most college campuses want to keep the kids on campus. So they'll offer free pizza in a movie if you want to come and talk to the Student Government Association or, you know, there's a lot of things on campus that are either free with the student ID or, you know, 3 or $5 to get in and they could be, you know, big concerts and things like that, but very cheap tickets. So it's really going to vary. I know some people call the residence life office or the student life office on campus for an estimate of what, you know, the student might need. But I think it's also an important conversation to have with your child. You know, are they going to take their spending money from the summer and that's what they have to work with and they're not going to replenish that dollar amount until they work next summer? Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, that's what my children are doing. They had their graduation gifts and the money they earned last summer. And then throughout the semester, they had work-study jobs. They were earning money. And they're very frugal with that money because it's their money. If right, I was giving them money, it. they would have gone through it a lot faster. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, same thing for me. Um, I think the money that I earned in the summer actually went to paying for college, but then the money I earned during my work study, that was my spending money. And yeah. so that was a little feast or famine when you get yeah. closer to the end of that pay period where you hadn't had a paycheck for two weeks. But you, I certainly learned about managing my money. Um, right. And so, I think one of the... I was mm-hmm. going to say one of the biggest things that people spend money on is eating off campus. And you yep. may have to remind them that you have this meal plan. And some colleges have gotten pretty smart about it where their meal plan will be so many swipes in the cafeteria, but also dining dollars off campus. So yes. you want to get a mix. And maybe it means that spring semester you change their meal plan to be more in line with how they're spending their dining dollars. Right. And if you're not living on campus, maybe it means eliminating the meal plan altogether and allowing them to, you know, have a little bit more freedom with where they're spending their money to eat, but still, of course, limiting that. But so you're not paying for it twice, I think, is kind of probably your point. Right. Um, Lori, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. And uh, thanks to all of my guests today. Next week, we're going to be looking more closely at how to use your college savings wisely. It's not necessarily as simple as just taking the money out of the bank and sending it to the college, which I think we heard Lori already talking a little bit about today, just how you pay your bills. Um, So you want to tune in and find out more. We're also going to be talking about the process of applying to the service academies, so places like West Point, Annapolis, Coast Guard Academy. Um, There's quite a bit to the application processes at these schools, and we're going to dig into what needs to be done and when to get that started. Um, I also wanted to let people know that we really appreciate the feedback and questions that have been coming through from our listeners, and we'd really love to get more. We'd love it if you want to call during our segments. Um, 
and ask questions of uh, my guests while they're here. Um, We have a few upcoming segments planned around your ideas, including whether or not to select a popular major at a school in order to increase your chances of acceptance and taking a more in-depth look at what steps students can be taking each year of high school to ensure success in the college process. So thanks to those of you who submitted those questions that led to segment ideas or maybe even had those as segment ideas. Uh, So if you have ideas for an upcoming segment that you'd like uh, to hear or to see us do or questions you'd like us to answer, send them to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And even better, as I mentioned before, call in during the show and ask questions live on air. Uh, As I mentioned earlier in the show, don't forget to visit our archives. The longer we're on the air, the more great stuff we're collecting, including things about making smart curriculum choices, tips about what not to write your essay on. We just talked about that last week. Uh, Information on the new SAT, which I mentioned a little earlier in the show. You can also download the shows for free on iTunes. So if you're going to have a long car trip, maybe you're going to go drive to visit some schools, download all the shows and listen to them as you go. That might ratchet up the stress. Uh, So then you're going to want to read listen to this show today to talk about how you can decrease the stress. Um, and don't forget forget to come back next week. We're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.